You're listening to the Top Woman Business Unusual podcast. Now, the Top Woman Business Unusual podcast. Learn from the greatest minds in business today. Interviews hosted by Ralph Fletcher. Learn how to improve business, get tips from industry leaders, and be motivated by real-life experience. Top Woman. Business Unusual. All right, Mariana, so you're the founder and CEO at Chico's Podorosas. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Um, first of all, what does Chico's Podorosas mean? Chico's Podorosas means powerful chicks. Uh, oh, yeah, it's like the girl, the chicas means women, but the, without age, it's any oh, age. Okay, so that's a beautiful name. Okay, and you, it's a non-profit and you founded it about eight years ago. Can you just give us a bit of an insight into your journey? I mean, it's been quite a hectic last couple of years for all of us globally. So if you could just give us some idea of your journey. Um, since founding it? Absolutely. Thank you so much. So I, I'm Portuguese and when I, I finalized my studies as graphic designer, I went on to work at the Guardian newspaper in London. At the time, and back in 2010, I was graphic designer doing data visualization for news. And my first project was the WikiLeaks project. So I had to show lots of data uh, in a very concise way so people could understand and this could be a topic of debate for the audience. Mm -hmm. um, of course, I didn't know that this was journalism. I thought uh, the WikiLeaks was the normal journalism scene as this was my first experience, but then later I, I discovered that this was just was one of the top stories that we worked on. And that certainly uh, launched my career internationally. Uh, we won several awards on data visualization and there I worked with a team of developers and journalists that were going through the data and trying to make sense of that story. After three years working at The Guardian, my learning curve really got bigger and eventually it started flattening. At that time, my boss <clears throat> would leave to The New York Times and the next in charge would be me. As a woman and as one of the few women in the technological department at The Guardian. We were around 200 people <clears throat> working in technology and I was one of the three women at some point in time. So I had a very hard time looking for role models as women in journalism, uh, trailblazing stories. And I applied to become the leader of my team as my, my all my team mem members wanted that to happen. And I was replaced by a much older male that's uh, was taking the control of the team. What happened is that my entire team left, including myself. And at that same time, I not only realized that my, my learning curve were, were, was getting flat, as, as a woman, I had fewer opportunities than men to take leadership position and setting the agenda. So I left and I, I got a fellowship from the International Center for Journalists. And I went to Latin America to teach what I had learned at The Guardian being The Guardian, one of the most advanced newsrooms uh, that bring together development and many desks of journalism and with the openness of, minds, of mindset. It really was a school that just because it's one of the top newsrooms in the world does not mean that the story would end there. The story was just starting there. And when I got the opportunity to go to Latin America, I observed that most of media lens, the media outlets in Latin America were led by men. And that means that men are the ones who are deciding on the agenda topics and the perspective in which we tell stories. And that means very little representation of women, of LGBT community, of indigenous, of Afro-descendants, of migrants, of people with the capacities. So not only these people are not represented in the news, as also they are not presented in making the news. They are excluded from media. And when I started to witness this, I understood, okay, I have learned a lot at The Guardian in terms of collaborative journalism, in terms of leadership, even in terms of things that would block the talent retain, retention. And I was like, I want to do differently. So I went to invest in having, in, in offering media 
the possibility to offer the other side of the story, the other side that is not told by the male who are dominating the news. So that's why the name Chicas Poderosas, because I want the name that invoke femininity, uh, but not neededly just to be women. It has about female energy. And then powerful, it's owning our own power. And this might sound a little bit cliche at this time, but 10 years, eight years ago, this was like, okay, we need to hold our power. Uh, this was before Me Too, before all these movements that now made this topic a bit more mainstream. So at the time I started getting gathering, you know, groups of 50, 60 women together to, to work on technology at the time. How do we do tell stories online? <clears throat> and with the years, it has been evolving. And now it, become, it became much more about uh, the leaderships, the different leaderships one can have that does not have to be equal men or equal uh, obstructive or uh, very heavy leadership. It has, there's a possibility of having different leadership styles that are inclusive and welcome different provisions. So Chicas Poderosas, after eight years, we, we continue to work on, to, to, to deliver workshops and creating this safe space for women to get together and creating workshops and making these connections between journalists from all around Latin America. And what happens is that we have been able to put these topics in the agenda. Topics such as um, the gender gap, obviously, uh, feminicides, which is a concept in Latin America that it's when there is a woman being killed just because she's a woman. And this is a fact that happens a lot in Latin America, uh, especially with these uh, diversities like LGBT communities. There's a lot of violence and rage and I would say as well, a lot of ignorance or lack of knowledge. So what Chicas Pedrosas tries to do and continues to do is to empower their communities. We are now in 16 countries in Latin America, Europe and US, mostly in Latin America. We empower them, we fundraise, and then we create programs to train these people on telling the stories that are not being told and to work collaborative within themselves. As a journalist nowadays, they need to know how to work collaboratively. And then we do partnerships with media outlets all around the region, uh, national and internationally, and we publish these stories to change the agenda. And these stories have been setting topics of the agenda. And for instance, last year in Argentina, when the country was debating the law for abortion rights, uh, one parliamentary politician named the study Chicas Podrosas has done, showing how many women get died, uh, how many women die after having miscarriage, because miscarriage is seen as abortion in Latin America, and then people, women do not get hospital or support, and they end up dying. So this is the kind of stories that we are trying to put in agenda, so we have less people dying, we have more people having access to their human rights. Um, and now, eight years later, we see today, even today, the importance of this movement and the importance of, uh, of us getting together to have more representative media that will reflect in the policies of the, of the countries. So this is our mission. That's wonderful. Gosh, so, I mean, speaking, like hearing you speak, um, you were actually a pioneer at the time, as you say, things have become more mainstream but it takes a particular act of courage when you have very little support to start a movement. So congratulations, I think you've done amazingly. And I just, as you were talking, I was thinking, you were speaking about publishing results and getting it out there. Technology must have been quite an asset for you then, not to have to rely on kind of mainstream a media, but you could actually get the message out there using technology. Can you just chat a bit about that, how that's impacted on what you do? Absolutely. Thank you, Fiona. And I, I must say that uh, the work we have been carrying out for the past eight years, it's not only thanks to me, it's thanks to the entire community that has the same fire in their heart and the, the, the willingness to use their power to, to make change in the world. Technology was definitely one of the key st stepping stones uh, coming from the Guardian newspaper, the Guardian was not only digital first back in 2010-11, as it became very soon mobile first. That means 
all most of the news around 80% of the consuming of the news would come from mobile so to draw, to design a website a consuming website to mobile is a slightly different than for a full desktop so the mindset of digital was completely ingrained and when i arrived to latin america i noticed that in some countries women who would be reporting would be in one building typing their stories and then sending the stories into another building which was the it department which was usually made out of only men and these men would be the ones converting the stories into digital putting them online so women journalists would not have the connection with their audience and this was the first thing to to address like we that's why we started with technology we if we want to be in the in the world of the future and in the world of the present we really need to to know how to maneuver digital and how to use it to to the best of our ability to share our message so we started with digital trainings and then we became even more profound such as how to scrape databases to find data how to cross databases so it became very soon technically advanced so the basics of controlling your website connecting with your social networks and so on this was kind of the basics nowadays in our programming technology is at the base of everything we do um and so so it's like a stepping stone even if someone comes to the network that do not control or do not have so much ability to maneuver digital that's the first thing we teach that's the first support we give um nowadays uh with with covid and with the covid all over the world our in presence events had to be moved into digital well at, at first we thought this would be a stepping back in our evolution because we really feel the energy and you must have you must know what i'm talking about when we get a group of women together with a common mission a common either goal and they come together and they work together and they lose all competition and they just focus on collaboration and there's this feeling of sisterhood that it's uh impossible to talk, to tell you in words the energy and the vibes the good vibes you feel so we thought this is our amazing skill when we get together we're going to lose this but in fact we have no other choice we moved everything into digital for the past couple of years and with that we have reached thousands more people because we were so focused on bringing people together and training one woman at a time that we were losing you know the perspective of bringing more people together and having more groups working together and then from those groups some more insights come and then we evolve as a team way faster so with moving everything digitally there were some challenges but lots of opportunities we 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 ten, we multiply by 10 our audience uh we launched our first online course about women leadership and media to start talking about these topics and we reached more than 7500 women and non-binary people ac- around the world mainly in latin america and with this course we have learned so much about the the scenario the media landscape the lack of diversity and inclusion that still exists and we were able to get lots of insights to build new programs so actually we we are thankful that this this obligatory shift to digital came uh, as now we are creating much more content in online we we launched our membership so people could have access to the courses online and of course we are thinking about alternative business models to help this continue That's amazing. Um I heard you've got a presence in Europe and in the US. Um have you any thoughts about Africa? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So, we are very 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 strong. I mean, this is where we are the strongest is in Latin America, where the 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 security of women uh it's so fragile that all mostly all women you go there you you call in a community and then there's so much power of people wanting to join even if it's it started all as voluntary but people would come because they have these major social issues that they need to address for instance if a, a girl is being raped since the age of 12 at the age of 14 she gets a miscarriage she will go to jail for 30 years because she missed the baby although she has been raped and so we've been advancing so much in latin america and there's these major problems that for instance it's not the same context in in europe or in us so it's totally different approaches it's kind of like two different communities although we share the same concept of women rights or human rights for women and non-binary people in africa re- just recently 
we've been very, very focused and attentive to to free media, free college, which is very similar uh, in what they publish. Um, it's similar to Chicas Poderosas, but for an African uh, audience. And talking to some colleagues from Africa, uh, from these organizations, uh, in the conversation we talked about, for instance, in Latin America, we talk about uh, with gender perspective, with inclusion, language, and then in some countries in Africa, for instance, Uganda, where it's um, it's by law forbidden to have same-sex marriage. How how can we come and talk about gender perspective in telling stories? It's a bit uh, it's a bit some steps uh, behind that we need to contextualize our approach. So definitely, we really want to come to Africa, uh, but we don't want to come with the mindset of Latin America. What works for Latin America should work in Africa. That's not necessarily true. So the way we think about this is the more we grow and we, we become more influential in policy, uh, in, in, in gender policies, we want to connect with organizations that are already in Africa, they are already doing similar work, and we want to help out and we want to collaborate and join efforts. We are really focused on media and how the representation of media shapes the way we see the world. Um, and this is a dream. In, in, in Africa, there's so much to be done in so different levels and so different countries, and we would love to be there to support when we are ready to adapt to this new context, which requires definitely collaboration with locals to bring this this culture. For instance, uh, about Europe and about US, we have US because we have lots of Latin Americans working in USA, such as New York, Miami, Washington DC, and we and the communities there together, communities of Latin American women working in US, which have their own challenges as well. In Europe, we started with Portugal and Spain, uh, that started very powerfully, but finally we come to the conclusion in Portugal and Spain, we don't talk about feminicides. We don't talk about, you know, about uh, these, these situations more, um, more extreme that exist in Latin America. So we need to adapt. Right now, we, we have a big program to work with inclusion and diversity in media in Latin America that we want to bring to Europe, but we need to adapt. One thing is to talk Spanish to a bunch of countries. Another thing is to talk Portuguese, Spanish, German, French, Greek, Italy, Italian. So it's a whole different adaptation. And I believe it would be similar to if we would go to Africa or start with a specific Africa region. But definitely a dream for us. And uh, since we, well, everybody that works at Chicas, we, we wake up with this mission of contributing for a little change, for a little better world. Uh, so we would love to bring this energy and connect with African energy, which I'm sure it is very powerful. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, as a visual storyteller, what have been some of your highlights? Well, um, well, highlights. Last year, it was a big highlight. It was the first time, well, it was a visualization of the access to reproductive and sexual rights during COVID. And this was the first time it, it was done in Argentina throughout the 24 states. And it was the first time the community said, let's get together and let's see how our country is doing in terms of access to these rights during COVID times. And we gathered a team of 24 uh, journalists and editors and teams. And after that uh, research being published, um, one, for instance, one trans, trans woman that was writing the story that she did not get access to her, her medicines, when the story was published, she was contacted by the clinic uh, that rejected her from her medicines and told her, we are so sorry, please take it, and this wouldn't happen again. This was a, a first massive uh, point. A second was in Parliament, this politician saying, you, you, sh you need to reach a study because it tells us all about the data that we are here discussing about. And this has been very meaningful. And, and just recently, we were named uh, a political's most influential gender policy team, you know, people. And for us, this is massive, like just doing a study, showing data, telling about the stories that are not being told, highlights the, the, the problems in society, and then this can get recognized as a, a helper to move policies. And this makes make us really 
faith, have lots of faith because by telling stories, by showing reality that is not being shown, we can see other sides of the story. And this can make a change in the way we perceive the world and the way we, how we advance. So this was one of the biggest highlights. Um, if I think about, you know, with COVID, it's so much different that now it's everything digital. Um, so the power of visualization, the power of putting out these stories, it's more important than ever. Right now we are running a series of lab, labs of stories, uh, one in Colombia and we build a team there, one in Ecuador, we build a team there, Mexico and Brazil. And all these labs of stories, they bring people together to, to tell stories, to show data, to show different realities and invite people for a conversation. And this has been moving, moving, because we are talking about usually very hardcore stories of aggression or violence. And we are trying to tell them with empathy, with a way of connecting with people. Because, you know, in, in Mexico or in, in Latin America in general, when the stories are so bad every day, eventually people disconnect and it no longer makes a, makes an impression. It's like, oh, another hundreds of killed women. You know, it's like uh, it becomes a little bit more banal. So having really these visualizations, these other ways of engaging with readership, it's really important. Yeah, I used to, I think, uh, so it's, uh, I think when things are just too much and too heavy, people get desensitized exactly. and it's a way of, it's a coping mechanism, but it also dulls the outrage, which is really important if you're wanting to get things changed. So what you're doing is like really important. Um, I'd like to just move, you touched on it briefly, but if you could just expand a bit on what is your why? What are you passionate about? What gets you up in the morning? I think I've got a good, a good idea. Absolutely. <laughs> speak a bit more about that. You know, our why is because there's still a huge gender gap in human rights for women, for people, lesbians, gays, transsexual. Like, for instance, in Latin America, if you write a note about a trans person, the amount of hate speech that comes within, it's, it's huge. It's not even human. And the reason why we wake up every day is because the same way some women did in the past for allowing, they work, allowing us to vote today, allowing us to drive a car, allowing us to dress pants, pants if we want, we want to continue advancing for human rights. Uh, the situation that we see today in Afghanistan, for instance, it's like crushing and we want to be there for these women because women are just losing 20 years of advancements, going back to their burqas and going back to their lack of rights that they did not choose not to have. It's imposed in them by, by the religion or by, by the way the leadership of their country is working. And this is the reason, because every woman, the same way as every man, the same way as every non-binary person has, is entitled of human rights. And for me personally, what moves me the most, it's unfairness. It's, uh, it just kills me inside. It burns me to death. So I quit my life if I needed just to work on this because this doesn't let me live, you know, live in peace. I wake up with this fire in my stomach thinking why these Afghan women have to deal with all this crap. Why? Why? If, you know, we, we have supposedly one higher force. Why do we have a regime that is imposed in these women? They did not choose to live there. So the same way in Latin America, uh, women have, you know, they have relationship with, you know, with men that ha have been evolving. And if there's something that it's of the dislike of, of these people, they get killed. Why? And they get abused. Uh, you know, I, my dream is I want to protect women from violence. I want to protect LGBT people from rage, from hate speech. I want to protect people, indigenous people, from being re removed from their rights, uh, you know, uh, migrants. Just because they are migrants, any of us can be a migrant. Why should we be treated badly, poorly? This lack of, you know, of surrounding vision that just lets us see hate and, and, and badness. Like, this is what moves me. I, I really believe that the world should come together and not fall apart. Uh, we should call people in and not call people out because this is separating us. So me, my team, all the women that I work with and men, we want to, to have a world where people can have access to their human rights because everybody deserves to be happy and 
these these imposed regimes, imposed ways of living, we really think this is very unfair. So yeah, it's it's a bit maybe poetic, but I tell you, I every day, this this touches me. You know, I cannot just forget about it. I don't know. Maybe some people are born like this or not. Some like I have a hard time being happy when I'm not able to, or when I see so much unfairness, it really kills me inside. So you know, I. For me, the most calling thing is to work on this. And then when I am able to fundraise and have a team, this makes me extremely happy and extremely feeling fulfilled. Like the, the, the hardest part is the, is the fundraising bit because we are not for profit and we do work that is not tangible. It, the, I mean, tangible in terms of it doesn't return investment in terms of cash. So it's harder to get investment. We return in terms of impact. For instance, we can say and we say out loud that we contributed to the change of the law in Argentina, where women would go to jail because of miscarriage that they were not to be blamed for. So we are happy at advancing this every day. And every time that comes financing, it means more people will be able to work on this. And as well, the precarity of journalism work uh, combined with human rights um strategies or um you know it's a communication strategy that we put these topics in the agenda so yeah this is what moves us we and uh, yeah and journalism is 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 the vehicle in which we make our message out there so it's a mix of human rights journalism and the sense of fairness for everybody i hear you and um I, I also feel like very moved and passionate about human rights. And I felt um, in my own personal life that it was really important to address it at a, a young age for, uh, for children because it's, a, it's an attitude of how they see the world. So a colleague of mine who's a lawyer for human rights, we actually wrote a textbook on uh, human rights for children for grades four to six. And I just wanted to know, um, do you have your colleagues or any kind of uh, things, things, thoughts about lo looking at children and about the younger generation and about how to influence the way they see the world? That's extremely important. We have been working with the mothers of these kids mostly. And the kids have been coming to our in-present events by coming with their mothers. So at the young age, they have been exposed to feminism thinking, to, you know, collaborative <clears throat> working methodologies, but we have never done a program dedicated to kids or to children. Uh, we have been working with from uh, the age of university onwards. So this has been coming into our agenda as well and as a potential, but so far we have been focused on changing the media face by investing in their mothers and in their, you know, in their adults. So from a, from leaving university until whatever age women have, they are welcome to come. Sometimes they come as well for a refreshment of their career. They had they used to be working in a way, and now it's a totally different way. And when we have contact with younger generations, uh, those are the ones who are most advanced digitally. So there's a lot of of connection there as well to learn. But um, it's definitely a way to start and we hope as well that by working with these women they will be raising their kids with the same principles and so not we don't work directly with them but we hope to affect them by the work doing then with their mothers wonderful thank you um can you tell us about being a jsk night fellow yes <laughs> oh my god that was the best thing in my life so when i was I was moving from country to country, Chile, Argentina, Brazil, Mexico, Colombia. We're opening chicas here, here, here. And imagine one person organizing events and then getting a community next to it. And then another country wants one two days later. It was becoming, it was becoming impossible. And I, me as a founder, I felt like I was the bottleneck of this organization because I could not be everywhere. And I didn't know how to have people doing what I used to do. So when I was a fellow, a night fellow at Stanford in 2014-15, this was one of the most honors of my life. 
um, as a selected to be among the 20 students or journalists that joined the program. Basically, it's journalists that have an entrepreneurial mindset and they want to change the world in some area. And I was selected as one of the international fellows. And in that fellowship, I, I learned that to lose the founder syndrome, which is me as a founder, I wanted to do things my way and I was blocking things from being done differently from other people's leadership. So my goal was, how can I grow Chicas Poderosas beyond myself? And I did a fundraising, I did a kickstart campaign in Stanford where I raised $10,000. And then I got funding from uh, United Airlines that gave me 40 tickets. And I brought 40 women and non-binary people from Latin America. They came to Stanford and I organized the curation of four days of amazing content such as Let's go to the design school and learn about design thinking. Let's go to Google and understand that it's not just a searching box. It's an entire village with lots of people working and we can learn about their tools for journalists, their minds, the mindset on how to work with trends, data and stuff like that. And then we went to Singularity University where we understood how to affect a billion people with our actions. So there was a lot of mind opening. Some of the women have never left their country uh, in Latin America. And for the first time, they were in San Francisco visiting all these huge organizations of technology. And this has been magical, as you can imagine. Uh, when so much they had, they, they felt the power that they had to create change. And then it was very organic. So basically, I just wanted to share the best content I had access to and then combine with them, organize with them. How might we become all leaders of this movement? How can each of us become, a, you know, a starter of a community, a igniter of change in their country? And that's what happened. These 40 people went back to their countries. Not all the 40 became leaders, but uh, more than half became leaders, for instance, in Brazil. We did uh, an event with one, one another chica from Brazil. We did an event with Olympics Committee about how can we tell stories about uh, Paralympics? Because, you know, the same with Olympics and Paralympics. Both of them work their asses off to train so hard and then people just pay attention to Olympics. Uh, when the Paralympics come, the audience drops drastically. How can we call attention for Paralympiadas, you know, these athletes, they work as hard or more and they are heroes. So, you know, like another undercover, like underattended topic. So we worked with the Olympics, then we went to Chile, we, we organized a community there, then in Argentina, the, the, the chicas, the girls went there, they started the community. And then with this, what happens is that eventually we were in 16 countries. You know, I was like jumping from country to country not having officially country representation, it was just me visiting. And eventually I become, we became having a leader per country that would organize their, their own way. And little by little, we started to talk about processes, methodologies, starting to write the things that worked well, the things that did not work well. And finally now we are organized and we have processes and anyone can start Chicas Poderosas because we have a book that says how to do it. And we try to organize. We are, it's still very organic. You know, whoever feels the drive can join um, join the team. And so we have the, the core team that is now the team that organizes the basics, uh, defines systems, designs programs. And then we have the second layer, which is our community leaders, which we call ambassadors. And usually we have two per country so they can help each other and they can, you know, bounce back tasks. It's an unpaid job yet. But our dream is to make these ambassadors, two leaders per country, so 16 countries, 34 people, to have at, at least a basic salary to do social media, to connect with organizations nearby, to think about programs nationally. So, you know, we want to push leaders to the top, give them freedom, give them support so they can do what is needed in their country. So Stanford was amazing. It was like out of this world. It was like in the movies. The contents you get there, the people, the openness of the head of the people you meet is like, it takes you out of your comfort zone and you just, I feel like you swim in the world of possibilities and it's its really enlightening. Wow, that's amazing. It's really inspirational. Um, you touched, When you were speaking, you just touched on something I wanted to ask you about social media and how you use that. What are the kind of platforms that you focus on 
and what are the ones that are kind of most uh, well received? So as journalists, the, our most uh, trending or most effective uh, channel is Twitter. This is where we talk about serious business, we show data, we show studies, we develop conversations. Uh, it's the most serious, most serious conversations. Then second, we have Instagram, where we connect more visually, where we do small, you know, wrap-ups or uh, resumes of programs, conversations, debates. So we want to instigate the talking, the, the conversation about the debates that are not being talked about. So that's pretty busy as well. And then in, in terms of Facebook, each country has their own Facebook page. So this is managed by the local ambassadors. Um, so this has a more, let's say, local edge to it because the locals understand the local needs and what's circulating locally. Uh, and then we have international, the, the global team who pushes content that we believe it's important nationally and international as a global stand. So um, social media is extremely important. It has been growing a lot. We have with COVID, we've just been multiplying our audience reach, and it's definitely something that we want and needs to continue investing in and, and rethinking the ways in which we communicate with our audiences because it's not just communication is not just putting the message out and hope someone catches it. It's making sure someone catches it and understand how it affects people and then building a dialogue from that. So it's definitely one of our main tools. Okay, that's great. And I was just thinking like the whole thing with technology, when you're doing like the training and the upskilling, you must be able to do like a group, um, a group uh, message across a whole range of countries. As you were saying at the beginning, it didn't have to be one-on-one. -on -one. So now you can probably train right across uh, South America and Europe and the US all at once. Yes. Well, we chose to, to communicate in Spanish. In the beginning, it was Spanish, Portuguese and English because... Okay, Latin America has Brazil, that they speak Portuguese, and then the entire rest is Latin. And then in US, sometimes people want to speak in English, uh, even if they are Latinos. So in the beginning, we we're three languages now, as a need of getting better and need to decide in which we're going to get better because we cannot get better at everything at once. We decided to go with Spanish because it's the majority of our community. So our entire communication is in Spanish. So we push out message in Spanish when we think it's needed. We translate and we have translations. But today, our main language is Spanish. So, yes, we push out in Spanish, but there's other ways of calling out. We have the newsletter as well, which has a huge um, audience. And there, sometimes we have in Spanish and some bits in English for those who receive us and speak only English. So we try, you know, the uh, best case scenario would be as well to be, I think, to be in the three languages to begin with. And now when we think about Europe, we think about so many different languages, the challenges are different uh, and we need to rethink. But ultimately we use a lot as well images and we want to, you know, to get understood. So we will make everything that we need to, to get to the people in the language they would understand us. That's great, thank you. Um, you said right at the beginning of our conversation that it was really hard because there were so few women mentors for you in this space. So after eight years, um, which female leaders inspired you the most and why? Oh, a lot. Uh, yeah, you know, the, the female leadership, it's something to talk about. You know, when I was at The Guardian, I had a CTO the chief technological officer, she was a woman. I applied to, to become team leader and then I got rejected immediately. And I, I understood there was not, you know, uh, a hand pushing me up. I didn't feel that. So th this is what I have been looking for. And the, the biggest leaders I have been finding, I have been my mentors. And some of them are not even women. Some of them are even men. One of the biggest inspiration I had was at The Guardian, my boss, who was Alistair Dent. He was the one hiring me for the team. For two, three years that we were together, he was constantly mentoring me, giving me the best and making me the best designer he could so we would make an amazing team. And this concept of giving your all, because mentorship, I think, is one of the most important things for us to grow. Um, I have had the chance to have 
uh, mentors such as I can tell you Jane McDonald, which was a lady, is a lady. She was the leader of online news association, one of the biggest news association in US, and she became our board of directors, and she has been training me and tailoring me to be able to be a, a good CEO. Another mentor, and this was like magical in my path. When I was in California for the studies in Stanford, uh, in the very beginning of the elective year, I went to, to a Google event for women in technology. And I met this lady at the door. She, her name is Vicky Hammerstead, and she is the leader, uh, the director of uh, um, Berkeley Advanced Media Institutes, which is a university in Berkeley, very, very good, very known. And she came to me and she read in my post-it saying, Mariana Santos, Chicas Poderosas. And she was like, for some reason, I know someone told me I had to know Chicas Poderosas, but I cannot recall who was. And this was the starting of a great friendship. After that, she invited me several times to come teach at Berkeley. We became very good friends and colleagues. And it's like she was my soul, how do you say, soul animals. You know, we were soul sisters. Um, she's, you know, she could be my mom. Uh, she has the age of my mom. And then she decides with me. Ichikas Pedrosas used to be a program from this fellowship that I was in, ICFJ. And she told me, why don't you transform this program into a non-for-profit organization? Like, make it. And I was like, I have no idea how the American law works. And she's like, neither do I, but we will find out. And this was the best thing. You know, thanks to Vicky, we transformed Chicas into a 501c3. And thanks to her today, we are an independent organization. Uh, she was my mother, my sister, my best friend. We cried together doing accounting for the organization. We were co-directing, uh, something that we never done before. Uh, and we struggled with, you know, with some basics like accounting. You need to make all things get well in the accountability. And for us, this was so hard, you know, tracking receipts, stuff like that. But uh, and then I started to come a lot to U.S. to to be with her, learn with with her methodologies at Berkeley. I became a better professor because she taught me so much. She mentored me to be the best professor ever. And now we are apart because, you know, with COVID, I have not been able to visit her for the past two years. Uh, she has continued to develop, you know, Berkeley AMI. And, and I got a whole bunch of board directors, which were as well inspirational mentors that are joining me to think how can we advance this organization so and you know i must say that my mom is a big inspiration for me she always makes me believe in myself and she she's always giving me a good you know examples for me to follow whatever it's in private life as a person as a woman as the thinker so yeah amazing women and in the world i have as well found women that would not push me up and I really felt the, the competition in women's bodies and minds and work. And this is something I would really like to work on in the, well, help work on how might we women help each other and not see so much competition as the society made us believe that we need to compete for the better man and stuff like that. Like, I think we need to deconstruct this, understand that we are all the same and help each other and support each other. Because, yeah, I don't think women not helping each other, it's not, not beautiful, nor useful for anyone. So, <laughs> 100%, 100 agree with you. So just uh, leading on from that, what, what do you think leadership should look like in the, in the future? Mm -hmm. So right now we, we are working about with leadership concepts. You know, we are coming up with programs that have, uh, leadership from diversity. So it's it's very usual that we associate leadership with roughness, with oppression, with bossy, with some kind of fear creating. We don't believe in this kind of leadership. For us, this this leadership is a machista management style that just makes well, may, might be effective because people are in fear, people come to work with, with a fear of missing or, or lacking something. We believe in this inclusive leadership where we, we state the mission, the vision where we want to go, and then we work with the team to get there with what they can offer and not force everybody to be the same. Like we don't believe in the leadership where you have to dress up as a man to look very bossy and trustworthy. We believe that people can be 
their full selves and still become great leaders. Uh, the traits of leadership does not have to identify necessarily with just male uh, and energy. It can have different shapes and forms. So we have launched a couple of programs. One is called Incubator for Leaderships. And it's we are working with uh, 25 media outlets that are led by me women and by non-binary people. And we are understanding other ways of leadership. And now we want to work in the next program. We want to do not only in Latin America, but as well in Europe. We want to work with these um, mainstream media leaders. You know, those white dudes, there are leaders, there are editors-in-chief that are taking decisions on the agenda. And we work, want to work with them. And we want to work on how to disconstruct this, this oppressive leadership that is not inclusive. And, you know, this is something that we believe is needed. But recently in an in a event, a newsgast event, where it brings together a lot of journalists from Latin America, there is this colleague of mine from JSK, another journalist from Brazil. He's a white man, heterosexual, with his management style, the same way he used to be, you know, big media outlet, very rough forward, let's go fast. And he was telling me and other colleagues, uh, I'm a white heterosexual dude. How can I attract Afro-descendant people to come work with me when they see me as this hegemonic uh, abusive leader? Uh, how can I do it? And he was like, Brazil is mo more than 50% is Afro-descendant and I have no one working with me, you know, with this mindset, with this uh, point of view. And that's when Chicas Padura started to think, how, how would you be open to different ways of leadership? Would you be open to learn about inclusive and diversity in your team and how to deal with diversity? Because it's not just one size fits all. We need to, to be inclusive and, and to adapt. And he's like, let me be your guinea pig and please help me. And I think this, this man is, is a very humble man. He's very successful, but he understands the need of his media outlet represents the vision of his country's population. So I, I hope and I believe media outlets, I, I think in Europe is not there yet. It's much more visible in Latin America. When I talk to European journalists, they say, here, I don't think people even recognize this is an issue. So as being not an issue, nobody's going to want to do programs on that. So we are starting in Latin America. But then in the other side, there are more, I would say, more forward-thinking media outlets leaders that in the same Newsgeist event told me that in, in Europe, there are countries that are losing rights for women. What are we doing about it? So they are waking up for this. So I think media, it's really uh, an initiator of social changes. So I, I hope and I believe that Europe wakes up for it. Uh, meanwhile, we are trying to work with Latin America, test it and see results. You know, how can we, because as well to look at media and see, uh, is this media diverse and inclusive? In Chicas, we don't believe in these KPIs. They are purely quantitative that you say 50% women, 50% men, this is inclusive. No, we don't believe in that because we can have 80% women and still have the men taking decisions on the agenda. Women might be representing, but they don't have the power to decide. And women are non-binary people. So this is where we believe leadership needs to be flexible, needs to be inclusive and needs to change. The world is changing. Uh, we are becoming more and more diverse and we need to find space for everybody because this thing of segregation and just working for some does no longer work and we have seen this. So I think uh, leaderships can take many shapes and forms. Uh, we have now uh, another program online called Modelo para Armar, Model to, to Build Up, and it's building leadership from diversity up. Uh, and this is like we are going into new fields of knowledge, listening to different points of view and making other assumptions on ways we can improve this leadership. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. So I'm in the home stretch now, just the last two questions. And um, the, the penultimate one is what exciting plans do you have for the future? All right. Right now, just before talking to you, I'm here writing a couple of proposals. To, to work on diversity and inclusion in media. Uh, some for Europe, some for Latin America, uh, talking to alliances and partners in the different regions, uh, as well talking to United Nations women. Now United Nations women, they want to be seen the cross between journalism and gender. And this is what 
where Chiquis Pedroza has been working for the past years. So we would like to support them in, the, in their mission. And because we are so small still, we are very grassroots and we change and we adapt and we pilot the program and then we, 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 we get the impact and then we redesign it. And that's exactly the stage where we are in. We want to come in full on with working on measuring our observe, observing and analyzing how diverse and inclusive we are in media, but not with KPIs, with numbers done by a contractor, you know, consultancy organization. We want to get together a team of diverse people that are excluded from media, work with them, train them with the skills they need to get their jobs in media outlets. There are no not hiring them or they can launch their own. Uh, give them this, this technical support, this safe network, and then with them coming up with what it means to be diverse, what KPIs do we need to take in consideration. And then together with universities in these countries, do a research about how diverse is the media. And then once we have a first initial idea, then we can advance. What can we do together? Toolkit boxes, programs. But we really believe in collaboration. So you know, we, we, we send the first kick, but then we want to see response and the feedback so we can build up together. But yeah, and, um, you know, just out of transparency, which is one of our main values, we have three more months of funding. And this is usually how it works. Three more months of funding. After those three months, if no more funding comes in, we need to close Chicas Podrados. This has happened several times. And at the last very minute, we get the funding. It's a bit stressful, and that's why I have so many gray hair. But uh, this is the way this business works, and we're just going to quit when we have no more options. So we are continuing to work on this. Well, I hope you and I are chatting again next year and that you've got yeah. the next multiple generations. <laughs> <laughs> so my last question is more of a fun question because we've, we've been diving into some quite uh, weighty topics. So if you could choose five people, past or present, to invite to dinner, who would you choose? Ah, that's so awesome. Okay, I would choose my father to begin with, sorry, because he's dead and I have so many things I'd like to tell him before he goes. Um, I think Marilyn Monroe, <laughs> Malala, um, Madonna, even Madonna. Actually, Madonna lives in Lisbon, and I'm not sure if she wanted to come for dinner with me, but people that have changed my thoughts. Uh, Tina Turner, uh, really, and, and Kamala Davis <laughs> as well, which I think it's amazing, and it's a milestone in the world. I mean, I'm sorry that maybe I was not so creative, but uh, from the top of my head, I would, have, I would love to have dinner with these ladies. And make a party. Well, we would love to do that. And with Tina Turner there, we wouldn't have any problem with music. <laughs> She's amazing. Isn't she just? Marianne, it's been so lovely meeting you. And thank, thank you for you. your time. And I hope we get another chance to speak again soon. I think you're doing the most amazing work. Thank and you so much, Fiona. For you and all your colleagues and everything that you're doing. It's really crucial for all of us as global citizens. So thank you and take care. I thank you very, very much. And I'd just like to ask if you come across organizations or people who you think could be interested in collaborating with Chicas Africa or elsewhere, let me know. I am here to make, make it happen. I definitely will do. Thank you so much. Take Have care. a great day. Bye. Bye.